All right. So welcome. This is episode three of the Aquarium Insider Podcast with me. My name is Dan Connor. And today, super stoked, we got Ryan from Wild Fish Tanks on the cast talking about bristlenose plecos today. So I'm I'm stoked to talk about, about that. Ryan, thank you so much. Definitely agree. Uh, definitely super excited for you to come on the podcast. Uh, we met... I guess I, we talked about earlier, maybe like a year and a half ago, you were the first person to come to our, like, you know, our farm and see some stuff. So it was, uh, it kind of, I almost feel like that was my first start of like, this is something I need to look into, like, and break into like this sort of realm. And it's been like a snowball ever since it feels like. So I, I credit you for a lot of that. Cause I was like, I didn't even know this existed a lot of the time. So <laughs> that's funny. So, man. Yeah. It's, it's been a bit, it's been good to see you and see you grow. Like we were talking the last time I was at your shop, you guys had just uh, just begun the process of putting the tanks in there. They weren't even really full of water. And I've got a chance to kind of, uh, you know, talk to you here and there over the last year and a half. We got to catch up last weekend in Aquashella, which was nice. And I really appreciate you inviting me and being here to talk about some bristlenose plecos, man. Yeah, man. Super excited about that. So let's kind of dive in. And, and before we real dive in, I wanted, uh, if you could just give a quick background to some of the new listeners, new viewers, and a little bit about yourself. And then also, I'll have Ryan's information in the show notes. So if you want to find him on Instagram and YouTube, I'll have all those links there for you. Yeah. So I pretty much, I run a, um, a fish room in my garage with about 87 tanks. And I focus on a few different types of fish, uh, some guppies. I do some smaller dwarf cichlids. But I really do focus on a lot of bristlenose plecos. Uh, I happen to breed them and work with a few different color variations. But in today's podcast, I really just want to talk about kind of the basic care requirements, what you really need just to kind of keep them happy and healthy. Um, in my opinion, they're an awesome fish for someone just getting into the hobby or has been in the hobby for a long time. Uh, but really excited to talk bristlenose plecos because when I kind of got into the hobby as an adult a couple years ago, uh, they were one of the first fish I kept, and you know I, I enjoy them just as much, if not more, uh, keeping them today. Awesome, awesome. That's great. All right, so I kind of wanted to I want to give you a, a a little general of a question first because I definitely I skewed a lot of the podcast to to kind of help newer Aquarius, and this one's a little bit more general, and then we'll kind of get more specific as the podcast goes on. So the question, uh, first question, is just like. For the newer Aquarius out there, what would be just you know one piece of advice you would help them, generally speaking, as far as like what do you think would be most helpful for them, sort of moving forward on this Aquarius journey? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, I think, I think in general, um, the biggest thing that helped me out was not only uh, YouTube and just and finding fish friends and bouncing things off of, but my own trial and error. So that's not the, it's kind of a combination of, there's a lot of good information out there, uh, but you have to kind of treat this hobby with some patience and take this time. So I think my, my biggest thing is when you get into this hobby, look at it as a long haul. Don't look at it as a quick thing. There's going to be a lot of trial and error, uh, but it, there's a lot of different resources. If you're listening to this podcast, then obviously you're already, you're already on the right track. Um, but definitely look at it as, as a long haul and look, that you can explore and, and trial and error over over many years. There's a lot of different kind of nooks and crannies of this hobby. So I would say take your time. Take your time. There's a lot of a lot of things you can do, and you have plenty of plenty of time to do it. Awesome. Yeah, I think I think that's good advice. I think it's 
a lot of people, I think maybe starting might think this, oh, this is super, super easy, super quick. I'll just put a bunch of stuff up and it's instantly going to be amazing and it's going to stay that way. And I just, uh, I just feel like that there's going to be a lot of issues with, with, with that. But I think definitely time is, is, is a, is a good way to approach it for sure. All right. So let's dive into uh bristle nose. So, you know, kind of started off. When did you start keeping bristle nose? I know you mentioned a few years ago, but when did you start keeping them? I guess. Yeah. So I kept fish as a kid, um, but never kept any bristle nose plecos. The, the plecos I kept as a kid were what, what are referred to as the common plecos. You find them in a lot of the stores, even to this day. And they may be only a couple inches when you get them. Um, but, you know, they grow to be massive, massive beasts, literally like two feet plus. I know you know this already, Dan. Um, so when I got back into the hobby, um, it was 2016, around 2016, um, I got a tank off Craigslist, and it was kind of a community tank. Um, had an angelfish and some Tetris and stuff like that. Didn't have any plecos. And my long-term goal was some dwarf cichlids, what have you. But I did a little bit of research, and I learned that this thing called the bushy nose or the bristle nose pleco was probably going to be a better bet for me um, than what I used to keep as a kid than a common pleco. First and foremost, just because of its size, because it only maxed out at about five or six inches, and its requirements as far as a tank were not nearly as much long term. Awesome. All right. Sort of. A, I should have asked this question first, but I'm going to ask it now. Yeah. And and I know because you've already said it. It's pleco. I want to oh. say for the majority of my life, I probably called it Plico. Plico. And I, don't I don't know. I think you're wrong, though. I, don't think, <laughs> I think it's like the whole beta beta, man. I don't know. It, yes. <clears throat> Excuse me. I just, I don't know. In my head, I remember hearing it. Oh, the, the you know, wild collectors are bringing Plico eggs. And I just remember hearing it as Plico my entire life growing up. And I'm just and, like. And I think, and I feel like, you, you know, your your experience may hold a little more weight. I'm not sure if the, the listeners, if you're, if you're an avid listener, you know Dan, you probably know that he grew up, you know, in a fish farm life. So when Dan says he heard it growing up, he means he heard it from, like, the people collecting them and in the industry big term. And to be honest, when I've heard it called a Plico, it's mostly been from people in the industry. Like, all the far, you know, not all, but I'd say the vast majority of the farmers and stuff, I hear them referred to as a Plico instead of a Pleco. Um, but for whatever reason... I'm a Pleco guy, and I say I say Bicher also. I don't know if you're a biker guy or a you know, but I say I say I don't say Bicher, but I say Bicher. I say, I want to say I called it a biker. I'll be biker. honest. I think it was a biker because we have some in right now, some Delhezies. So <laughs> yeah, I just had to ask called? that because I didn't yeah. I didn't know anything. And because Jay goes, you mean Pleco? He goes, who calls it Pleco? I'm like. I've been calling that my whole life. So it's like, I guess I got to re, re, uh, rethink some things. So I just had to mention that because I was thinking about that as you, uh, as you are, were talking. Yeah, it's <laughs> right. it's so, definitely a thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. All right. So, um, all right. So what, I guess, I guess the size, so is size what really made you want to start keeping them? Cause you thought that would be a better fit for your aquariums at the time. Yeah. Was that the a, thought process? A couple things. Yeah. Number one, the size. Number two, I had read that, you know, most people get into these sucker mouth catfish because they're looking to something to clean the algae. You know, it's very common that I have algae in my tank. How do I get rid of it? And in my opinion, there's a lot better ways of buying a fish to control it. But the Bushnell's Pleco will eat algae. And typically, they're, they do a better job at it than a common Pleco. And they'll munch on some algae throughout their lifespan. And they won't kind of, you know, get bored of it after a couple of years like the common Plecos seem to. Um, so I think, I think those two things, um, were definitely what 
what led me to the the bushy nose pleco or bristle nose pleco. I'm gonna have. I guess I'm gonna have. I have a few questions coming up as I think about them. Do you think they're as messy as regular plecos? Um. Yeah. They're. I mean. I think they're pretty messy. They poop a lot, especially. I. I can't say that. I've compared them to a lot of like common plecos lately, but compared to other fish, like pound for pound for a fish, a hundred percent. Like compared to a guppy or other things, when I'm moving fish around, having a little container, like a, a little tiny one inch pleco will poop so much in a little deli cup in just like thirty minutes <laughs> or an hour. It's crazy. I don't know where it all yeah. comes from. Yeah, I just I we uh, so on the farm here we started breeding uh, the albino bristle nose here uh, like like a year year ago, I guess now. And uh, my God, they're so they're so messy. They're so messy. I'm like, my God, this is this is a lot. I gotta I gotta I better start siphoning a lot more, I guess, because this is not doing enough. There's a lot of waste in the bottom of this tank, so I can't imagine how much ammonia they're putting off if they're putting that much kind of waste out. I guess so. I just wanted to mention that because I was like, man, that's something to think about. All right. Yeah. No, I agree. They're they're they can be a messy fish. That's why once again, I mean, buying a fish for a problem is not necessarily my best advice always um and that can be a lot of things people say oh i have snails oh buy a clown loach and it's and it's a little more complicated than my opinion it's like i have algae buy a bristle nose that's not a bad idea but it's a little more complicated than that like i said a bristle nose pleco is a good a good algae eater actually it's it's good to have it in there um but you know like i said there's other things to do to control control that as well yeah definitely I guess just a little bit of experience I've had with them a little bit. They, they seem, I don't know, for me, they seem a little, I like them a lot for a lot of the algae. Same reason you kind of addressed, like algae is definitely a big thing in the store. You know, the biggest difference we see is like, is a lot of price point difference between that and a normal common placo. Cause they are more expensive. A lot of times I'm like, well, you know, that's why going back to your time and your, you know, sort of the research side of things like, hey, research, how long do you want to keep this thing in the same size aquarium you're going to put them in? If you're going to do that, this is your better option for long term care or you're going to end up with some other things that might not be as good. Um, some other, you know, every everything has a consequence at some level. So that might be something to consider if they're depending on what kind of algae to put in there. Um, but definitely, you know, I like I like the bristle nose because it's a good in between fish for me like it's not a super small you know algae eater it's it's definitely a little bit bigger it can it can definitely take down some algae for sure so yeah. i like that i like that fish I, for that reason for sure and that's and that's a great point that you make about the price point because let's be honest like that's i'm i'm there a lot of times and all people listening they're there like that's a huge factor in what we're going to keep i mean that's just the fact and um i know that i think luckily bristlenose plecos are at a lot of local fish stores. Like, I mean, I think probably I would venture to guess that almost every single local fish store has bristlenose plecos, and I'd say more than half of you know just big box stores. A lot of them will carry the bristlenose plecos as well. You know, like unfortunately, like you said, when you walk in, you'll see the common plecos already bigger than the bristlenose pleco, and it's usually cheaper. So it's kind of like okay, this is a smaller fish and it's more expensive. It's hard to you know go towards that fish, understandably so. Uh, but I would bring it back to like my piece of advice in terms of, you know, patience in the long haul. And I would I would just say that that bristlenose pleco in most most cases is going to be uh, a better investment and just do much better for you long term. Whether you have you know uh, a twenty gallon tank or a fifty five or even a bigger tank, uh, a bristlenose pleco is going to fit the bill for many many different uh, scenarios. 
Yeah, hundred percent. It's it's very universal in a lot of settings for a lot of different types of setups, which I guess we'll talk about here in just a few. Um, I did want to mention before that part, though. Do you think do you think there are any specific unique requirements they need, like as far as like you know water requirements or anything special you see that is a little different than other, I guess, algae eaters in that in that case? Yeah, I think um, that's actually another one of the reasons why I, I keep that fish and pretty much all the fish. One other piece of advice I would give to um, begin, beginner aquarists as well as just any aquarist to make it easier on you would be keep the fish that's kind of in your water or what's good for your water. So if you have a certain type of water, you can try to manipulate it and make it better for something you want to keep. Um, but in my opinion is try to find some fish that already work well with that water. And the good thing about a bristlenose pleco is it's pretty dang flexible. Um, it's not too picky when it comes to temperature requirements, pH requirements. Um, they probably like a little bit like moderate to moderately hard water. Um, they, they, they'll do okay in super or in, in softer water. They come from the Amazon. Uh, I keep mine, like I said, in my garage fish room. And the temperature goes from the low 60s all the way up into the mid 80s. And they do okay. Um, I would recommend, you know, keeping them in the mid to high 70s. And they'd be perfect. Um, but I just say that to state that they're pretty uh, universally adaptable. People keep them in some cichlid tanks and much harder water. Um, I have them in planted tanks with Indian almond leaves, which will go ahead and, you know, lower the, the pH and make it a little softer. And they, think, they seem uh, to do well in, in all those scenarios. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's super important, especially when you're first getting in. You're trying to figure out what to put up. You're like, my God, I gotta I gotta get something that cleans the bottom. What's what do I get? What do what do I go? And you find something like one that's not gonna outgrow if you get a smaller tank, you know, a thirty gallon or whatever size you're gonna put it in, right? And then it's then on top of that, like it can adapt to a lot of different. And I see the same thing here. So oh, it adapts to a lot of different water qualities. We don't lower the pH of it a lot for our fish. Um, they're all relatively like, you know, harder water, higher pH type fish, mostly seven. I think our pH is like seven, six and above um, mostly. So I don't, it's one of the most versatile fish uh, we have here on the farm. And then also in our, you know, our tanks in the store there too. So it's I a good, it's a good, uh, what's a good, what was I going to try to say? It's a good fish to start with if you're looking for algae eaters for sure. Yeah, and it doesn't really – the co cool thing about it is it doesn't really kind of handicap you too much, whereas if you start adding fish, like I mentioned kind of earlier, adding a clown loach for snail control, well, I mean, that's going to – the clown loach is a great fish, don't get me wrong, but it has high heat requirements. It's really going to kind of potentially uh, pigeonhole you into what else you can keep, whereas a bristlenose added to a tank really kind of keeps the options open. Um, I did want to say that there's nothing that I think is specifically required for them but they do love driftwood, and I do keep driftwood in with every single one of my bristlenose pleco tanks. Like I said, they're not going to, you know, perish on you without driftwood, but I, they do appreciate a nice piece of something like a, a Malaysian driftwood, something that kind of is a little softer they can really kind of gnaw on or eat the algae off of. Not that they can't like spiderwood, but spiderwood's a little kind of like more like it's more harder. They, they, they really appreciate something like a, a little flatter surface and something they can really kind of, like I said, graze on, uh, but not a requirement, but definitely I think it'll go a long way in, in helping you keep them happy. Yeah, definitely. Um, real quick, 
for your tanks for the bristle nose what kind of tanks uh I, i'm trying to think of a good word to put it what kind of tanks would you see bristle nose i guess doing well in you know do you think they do well in planted tanks are they gonna are they gonna munch on the plants or something they're gonna wreck the substrate like what what do you see as being a good good tank setup i guess for the bristle nose i guess you mentioned it like bristle obviously driftwood helps right yeah um but putting them in more a community driven tank like community fish driven tank what do you what do you think 100 percent. so i think that the like i said the good news about the bristle pleco is it doesn't really it's not going to be aggressive too much now you can run into if you have let's say two large males in a smaller tank i'd say a, a, calling it like a 20 gallon or lower um the two males could get territorial and in their territorial beef so to speak they could mess up, you know, some plants. So I would say I wouldn't worry about bristlenose plecos attacking or going after any fish. I would, I wouldn't worry about them being too aggressive with each other unless you have two males in a smaller-ish tank. Um, but if anything, they've been known to kind of attach themselves to uh, sword plants. And like I said, they can get rambunctious. If you get a male that gets rambunctious, he can potentially disturb a nicely manicured aquascape. So if you're really going for that like dialed-in aquascape stuff, then I'd probably forego the bristlenose pleco because they can mess it up a little bit. But in terms of like a planted tank, just like if you want to keep just a nice planted tank, I don't think a bristlenose pleco would do too much damage. Like I said, maybe keep an eye on your sword plants, but besides that, I say go for it. Awesome. Oh, and this was the most. I guess this is I wanted to kind of dial back in from earlier. I was like, I asked you for like a general tip for like. They were gonna if someone's gonna keep bristle nose plecos in their aquarium, what's like the biggest the biggest thing they should take away from this and say this is what you should have, this is what you should do. Like above all, I guess is a good I know this might be the end all be all, but what's a good what's something they should what's something should people should know? Yeah. Um I mean the the good news is, like I said, they're pretty hardy. There's no real special trick. I would say the, the biggest thing, and this goes for most fish. Um, but these guys, they don't require crazy diet or anything. But I would say you really want to stay on top of water changes with them since they are dirty. Um, if, if you're you're going to be keeping them with other fish probably, not just by themselves. Um, they, they do have a decent-sized bio load. So you want to stay on top of your water changes, and it will help them grow. Um, Bristlenose plecos are not – I wouldn't say they're like super, super slow growers. Like you're not going to have to wait years and years. Um, but it's not like a guppy – or some of these other fish where it's full grown in six months, um, right. you're gonna you're gonna probably. It, it, the, the, in my opinion, it's a cool thing. It's part of that whole process and enjoying it. You're gonna be able to watch this fish grow for at least a year or two before it really starts to kind of take its final form and fill out and kind of if it's a male, get those kind of cool bushy bristles. And I think staying on top of your water changes is going to really help that process. And like I said, expedite. It's not a magic trick, but it's gonna it's going to help that fish kind of really just stay happy and healthy because like we were talking about earlier, they, they can be messy. So, yeah, definitely. Um, all right, let's get into a little bit more specifics, specific questions. Uh, I guess I would call this segment. I call it Yaka. I haven't come up with a better name, but it stands for your aquarium questions answered. And these are some more of the common questions. A lot of people are asking about the bristle nose plecos they're a little shorter, shorter answers for the most part, but they're they're somewhat more specific. So I guess I'll start with that one. So obviously, this is probably the most common question: is what size tank do you think is a is a minimum for the Bristol nose? Yeah, I would say that if you're planning on keeping one with 
a bunch of other community fish, and it's just going to be kind of like your main bottom bottom inhabitant, essentially. Um, I, I'd say you could probably get away with a 20 long. Uh, I, I, I like a 29. Um, I started out with kind of two and a 29. If you get two males in a 29, you, you're probably going to have some squabbling. Uh, but I think one in a 20 or 29, if you want two, I'd say to be safe, 55 gallon is, is 40 breeder, 55 gallon. You get two, they'll grow out. It's nice. Um, and these, and that's with, you know, now you can have your whole other community with those fish as well. Awesome. All right. Let's move on to the, the next one real quick. What do you, uh, what do you feed them? What's a good food for that fish? Yeah. So they are a bottom dweller. So some of the most common foods I feed them are going to be some sinking pellets and sinking wafers. They're kind of omnivore. So it could be a little, you know, a little bit of meat, a little bit of um, vegetable matter is all good for them. Uh, one of the, the funniest things when I, people who aren't fish keepers, they, they think it's funny because you feed, you can feed them green beans. Actually um, not just green beans. My go-to is like canned green beans. I get the French cut ones cause they're already kind of sliced up. Um, I get no salt added. I don't think it matters to be honest. A little bit of salt's not going to harm your fish. Um, but I get the no salt added French cut green beans, and I'd say just start slow at first. But usually, most uh, bristlenose pleckles will take to those. They'll take to zucchini or a lot of other vegetables. You can try. You can you know Google and look it up. Uh, but that's usually just kind of a, a treat or something. The main staple is going to be get a nice pellet or a wafer. Or people forget that even flake food. If you put it in there and you know kind of stir up it, stir up and it'll, it'll sink, and they'll eat it if it falls. Um, uh, I'd say that the a really special treat would be rapashi, and that's like kind of a gel food. It's a powder food you make, and it kind of it's the cool thing about that is it's water soluble, so it's not gonna or water stable, I guess. I don't know, but you can leave it in the water for a while. It's not gonna spoil the tank. Uh, but I would say that's definitely not required. But if you're looking to go the extra mile, uh, look into rapashi powdered food. Yeah, the rapashi uh, rapashi food. I used it. Um, I used to have it with the goldfish. And I was making it for a lot of the goldfish, and and that was probably one of the best foods I ever fed for that. And I was like, man, this is pretty legit. Um, wasn't that difficult to make? I didn't I didn't think, um, but definitely it is an extra mile food as far as like you're putting you know you're boiling water, you're mixing it in a thing, you're letting it set you know and cool down and whatnot, and cutting little squares. Put, but it doesn't smell, yeah, it doesn't smell as good though. Oh, it does not smell very good. <laughs> it definitely does not. It's boiled, you know fish food and got to do it outside. I couldn't do it in the house. <laughs> All right. I wanted to actually ask you one piggybacking question on this. Cause this is actually asked a lot. I found out is cause you've seen the light you're breeding them obviously. So you can kind of see rate of growth and stuff. Do you think if you feed the fish a different, like one of those foods, do they think you think they go faster on anything specific that you've seen? Or is it just as long as they're eating, you know, a, a time, two times a day, whatever you want to feed them. Is that basically, uh, the better advice, I guess. Yeah. So I feel as if, if, if your goal is to keep a happy, healthy pleco, then, you know, you you feed the fish a couple times a day. You really, it's, it's pretty easy to take care of. You shouldn't go wrong. Um, but yeah, with my, for my strategy, if I'm really trying to, you know, maximize them, I breed them to grow them out. I found that water changes beyond anything. Now, a continuous source of food. I don't know that, you know, one food's better than the other. The one good thing about the rapashi is you could put a ton in it. I don't do this all the time. It'd be really expensive, but you could just literally like throw a ton of rapashi 
And that way, 24-7, they have something to graze on. Like, you don't have to worry about it spoiling. You just overfeed the crap out of the or the crud out of the tank and, you know, just let them go to town um, continuously. Um, but, like I said, I think in terms of really growing them quickly, water changes up has been by far, I think, the biggest thing that I've seen is uh, makes a difference. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so you know, I'll throw a little commentary, I guess, on that. Is I don't see, you know, here we feed them. Uh, we fed a few different diets to them and whatnot, and I haven't seen any difference in growth. It was almost the, the amount of times I fe- we fed them changed it. You know, water temperature really didn't help a lot. Uh, our water temp, we don't. Our water temperature is roughly the same, same, same in uh, our tanks year round for all those fish. Seventy five and seventy seven, seventy five to seventy seven, roughly. Um, I was thinking maybe that would help. Exp- you know, speed up metabolism, feed a few fish, I, but that didn't seem to seem to matter as much as just how often we fed and how much they ate, I guess. But and not every fish grows the same. It's all some grow a little faster, some grow a little slower. It's all kind of you know fish dependent on a lot of it, I guess. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think there's a lot of genetics in there. I think because we have to remember, like when these bristlenose plecos have these babies, there's the genetics from these two parents. And that gets spread over, you know, 100 babies. So we see a, a decent array of genetics displayed as opposed to like humans. You know, maybe a couple has two, three, four babies. The genetics aren't as, you know, widely displayed. So I, I don't know if that's why, but in fish, you just get runs kind of every once in a while. Yep. Absolutely. All right. The next one is, and this is a, a pretty common one, is uh, when do you start seeing the plecos get their bristles? When do they get that the bristles start growing? <laughs> so yeah, that's a it's a big, big, big common common question because kind of like in guppies when they see the color, like as soon as you start seeing a little bit of color on a guppy, it's like it's probably a male because usually the females don't get as much color or any color at all. Same thing in a bristlenose pleco, the females don't usually get bristles at all. I've heard stories of some females getting a little bit of bristles, um, but I have yet to see it personally. Not that I've seen a million bristlenose plecos, uh, but I've noticed at a, usually around two inches, and that could be somewhere around six to nine months, you're going to start seeing the bristlenose plecos develop. The males will start to develop those, you know, those appendages, those bushy appendages around their mouth. And then as they get older, after a year or two, they start to get more and more of them, and they split into, um, I don't know what the technical term is, but they split off. You know, you know what I'm talking about. They split off yeah. into like different ones, and they kind of get these cool little spider web effects. But um, I'd say that at least six months, if not to nine months, and usually it's that nine-month to 12-month mark where I'll start seeing some breeding behavior as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we've we got quite a, quite a few going at the moment as far as uh, on the breeding side. And, you know, I, I definitely agree. I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not sexing them 24-7. I mean, I'm looking at them here and there. We have a guy that does a lot of our breeding here for us, and I was like, I was looking at him. I don't know, maybe like a couple of weeks ago, and I, I, I mean, it looked like we had a female that had. It was so small, it was almost unrecognizable. Like I don't think I would call that a bristle. I would just, it just didn't look developed. I guess is a good way to put it. Um, but even some of the males we've saw, like some had great bristles coming in, some had very few in that range. Uh, six months, seven months, eight months, all that range. It's all a different, it's all growing at a different rate genetically, right? That's a big thing. Yeah. So, you know, it's just something to think about. Don't, if you don't, if your bristle nose isn't getting all of the bristles up front, just don't, 
Don't stress out too much. Give it a little time. It might still be young. Techn- I bet if you're buying this at a pet store and it's, I, most of them are probably around two inches. They're just now gaining those breast milk. I would honestly, like I said, I, I don't go, I don't see a ton a lot. I would honestly say that you're probably buying a fish that's closer to an inch, inch and a half at a pet store. So yeah. you're probably a couple months away from bristles. And keep in mind that the fish, it's interesting. People don't realize this. And I still have my hard time wrapping around it. Like a fish, when a fish that's like a one and a quarter inches, when it goes from a one and a quarter to one and three quarters, like that half inch is like a big growth because it puts on a lot of like size in terms of like width to it too. Like yes. when you see it, like those couple months, like it's like, oh, it's only grown a half an inch, maybe a half an inch in length, but it looks like a totally different fish in terms of thickness too. So a lot of times you'll buy those fish kind of right at or right before they're looking to put on that little bit of a growth spurt. Um, and it's usually kind of at the end of that growth spurt, they've gotten that thickness and then they start to develop those, those bristles when they're males. Um, but yeah, it's, it's cool. And like you said, it's, it's never the same. It's this, you can't, you, you can never like calculate it exactly. That's for sure. Definitely. Yeah. There's, I don't know the best way to describe this, almost like a ramp, a ramping period for different species. It takes them a while to get from like stage one to the next part. And then they just take off for a while. And then after that, like big growth spurts happen, they might taper off a little bit. It's, it's in different species. It's not always the same, but I I feel like it could be that way. And, and bristlenoses, they grow slow at first and they hit this mark and it's just, they're off to the races for a little bit. They're getting bigger faster quicker they're getting wider like you were saying and they kind of taper off again i don't know it's just something i've seen here putting through a different a few different species like that it just kind of made sense so yep no it's it's interesting and i'm I'm sure you've been around a lot of breeders whenever i hear these guys that have been in the industry and fish farms or just private home breeders and people ask them all the time like how do you sex a fish or what like the most common thing i hear is you, you, you think they'd have all these technical things and all this. You go, no, they let them sex themselves. Like you put them in a tank together and then you watch them and they'll tell you what's the male and the female. You kind of watch them do their thing. The male will eventually grow bristles. The female will, you know, get a little gravid and, you know, in angelfish, you know, whatever you name the species and you kind of just have some patience and they'll reveal it to you. You know, they'll, it'll, they'll let you know eventually. Yeah. And maybe that's something maybe a lot of people don't know is, you know, from the scale perspective of breeding these fish or any other fish, as much as I hate to say it, it's, it's not really that scientific. We're not going out there with billboards and, and tracking and, and logging every, you know, every ounce of data We're we're making sure we're keeping how they're, how they're being sexed. Right. You know, roughly, I mean, they might be tracking month. They might be tracking the 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 genetic. They might be tracking the genetics. Actually, that would make the most sense. They might be tracking genetics depending on the fish, and then from there, it's just what worked, what didn't work, and then don't repeat what didn't work, and then try to find another pair of fish, another way to do this. Maybe it's feed, whatever it is. Um, temperature. They could be, you know, most people are probably just manipulating temperature and in, in food where some others might get a little bit more advanced and start manipulating. Uh, for these fish, I wouldn't say it, but other fish have seen them manipulate photo period for like some really high-end fish, but that's not not for these fish. So yeah. don't want to get too confusing for this, but that's typically the couple things they'll deal with. That makes sense. I've heard that too. Like you said, temperature and then kind of like conditioning with food are the two things, like you said, that I usually hear people manipulate. Yep. All right. All right. One of the last questions is, and I wanted to dive a little bit more into this. I know we briefly talked about it, but what tank mates do you think go well with 
the bristle nose if someone's yeah. putting up a tank and i don't know how we want to break that down as far as a community tank and or just name off some species yeah, e- either sure. or is good yeah exactly because there's, there's a lot of different options out there but i'll definitely i'll definitely uh, name off a few of uh, my favorites i apologize um i don't know if we mentioned it yet I'm, I'm i'm on my phone i'm sitting in front of my computer so we try to do the stream for my computer and for some <laughs> reason my two-year-old iphone has a much better connection than my hardwired laptop that's why i'm kind of <laughs> jerking around here a little bit and it just started pouring here so if you hear a little you know rain uh, i apologize um but uh, some of my favorite bristlenose setups, I think the tried and true, and this is kind of like the, the quote-unquote breeding for profit. And I know this is more of a beginner thing. We don't really get into breeding, but it's they're all beginner fish. And that is uh, bristlenose plecos with guppies and cherry shrimp. So it's, just, it's a tank that three species that are not that hard to breed. They all have pretty easy care requirements. They don't usually predate on each other. The guppies will make more. The shrimp will make more. The pleckles will make more. Um, if you're not looking to, you know, breed or you don't have an outlet, you know, don't put a pair of plecos in there or maybe just keep some, um, some just some male guppies or something like that. Uh, but that's definitely a good one if you are looking to breed. Um, but I think bristlenose plecos on the bottom would go great with, um, if you want to start with a smaller tank, let's say a 20-gallon, uh, just some, some tetras. You, I mean, you pick any of those kind of like small to mid-sized tetras, and you put the bristle nose at the bottom, I think it's a perfect setup. If you want to go to like a 55-gallon, one of my favorites, like a planted rainbow tank. You get some rainbow fish. Oh. They're nice and peaceful. They're going to be That's my around favorite. and flashy. <laughs> yeah, man. I just think they just need – they just kind of need that. I'd say a 55-gallon would probably be better than a 40 breeder for those bigger rainbow fish because yeah. they like the dart back and forth. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, like a planted setup with some rainbow fish. And then you just get you know get a bristlenose pleco or two for the bottom or your fifty five or something. That's that's a really nice kind of a, a planted uh, planted setup in my opinion. Um, I'll throw I'll throw one more out. This is kind of the top of my head. I'll throw one more out there. This is just kind of like a South American. If you wanted to kind of go like South American um, stuff, since since the bristlenose pleco is is from South America. Um, Oh gosh, now I can't like the Buenos Aires tetra, like a like a Buenos Aires tetra. Oh yeah, uh, pop. You know those are kind of a not super rare tetra, but those are a little bigger, beefier tetra. Probably like a forty breeder or something. Get a nice school of those guys. Uh, they shouldn't bother your bristlenose pleco. And keep in mind that if you if you're keeping one bristlenose pleco and like a forty breeder or a fifty five, go ahead and throw a school of Corys in there. You want to get like six or eight Corys of something along with your bristlenose pleco. I know they're both bottom feeders. Uh, but one bristlenose pleco in a 55, I think there's still room for a little herd of quarries as well, in my opinion. Yeah, and that and that actually brought up something I wanted to talk about and why I like that tank set. So your first tank set, you mentioned the plecos, the cherry shrimp, and the guppies. I like that for a couple things. One, a lot of people do want to add more than one bottom feeder to their tank. Because they're like, well, I really like that. Ooh, that's got nice color. And they want to throw something else in there. So throwing in something like a cherry shrimp, I think, is a cool addition because it gives them something that maybe has a little bit more color pop to add to their sort of like bottom of the tank. And then uh, I know you mentioned Corys as well. I'm Look, my, my wife's favorite fish is pretty much a Corridors, any Corridors cat. She loves pandas, uh, stirvies. I'm actually trying to find some different quarries at the moment to put in her her other tanks nice. and whatnot but um yeah i just i like the idea of keeping more than one bottom feeder and as long as they're not you know predating on anything or out or trying to out compete and i think those fish match well with 
bristle nose and i've never i don't know we've kept them over the years i've never had any issues with them you know chomping on anything or or attacking or none of that stuff i mean it's just not something you see so i think people who don't know like well i don't know you know it's a good thing to say you can put a different type of bottom feeder and here's a couple that work for you right and then obviously keeping fish in different parts of the water column right stuff that might swim in the middle getting some different types of tetras like i've been really big into the orange flame von rio tetras lately mm, yes. those were some different ones i haven't seen them a lot often and they're now they're being bred commercially and those are pretty cool they swim roughly in the middle ish of the tank um they're nice and then just keeping you know that striated pattern so you've always got something going on in the tank i think is a good a good way for a new aquarius to kind of approach fish keeping right and i think that kind of stops maybe some of the uh competition i guess if there was going to be some competition quote unquote uh i don't know keep it keep it simple i guess is the easy way to put it <laughs> yeah no and there's uh i think there's a lot of good options like i said the bristlenose pleco since it is peaceful itself the only thing you have to worry about is fish getting after it and there's plenty of fish to select from that won't get after it because yeah. you know it's it's going to keep to its bottom you know it's going to keep down there so you know unless you get some kind of aggressive cichlid and to be honest you know, it's a fish that I haven't kept a lot with a lot of cichlids, but it's a fish that they say if you're going to try, not that it's always going to work, but if you're going to try a pleco with some cichlids, the bristlenose pleco is probably the best one to give it a shot. I'd recommend maybe growing out the pleco a little bit, make sure it's kind of established and, you know, just as big, if not bigger than the cichlid you're going to be trying to home it with. Um, but as long as you're keeping the pleco with something that won't go after it, it's not going to go after anything you know my even even cherry shrimp like i said i've bred tons of cherry shrimp has a pleco ever eaten a baby cherry shrimp maybe but i've never i've never noticed it yeah yeah that's that's a that's a good thing to mention as far as you know a lot of people are like well i want to put them in my big cichlid tank well hang on a second like you you got to take some precautions and that at that level i mean can you you can do whatever you want right but the goal is you know i i try to mention this almost every time my goal is to try to save time money and lower that stress level. And if you do things that are, you know, best practices, I think you avoid that. I think it ends up being better in the long run for people who want to stay in the hobby and, and not be so frustrated by something getting killed or something, right? That makes I, I think that's a great point. That's actually I think that probably should be like one of the biggest things shared to the beginners. Here we are three quarters of the way and forty five minutes in, but I think it's a great point because you know, you can do a lot of things. Like if you look up on there, uh, you look on the internet, you can find people doing anything you want. If, if you mm -hmm. if you look hard enough, you could get validated and find someone doing what it is you want to do. And it probably is working for them. I'm not saying it's not. But in my mind, you know, even I'm not a, I mean, I've been doing this for a couple of years now. I still consider myself a novice. And I hope to always view it this way is I want to set myself up for as much success as possible. So if, is it possible to do certain things, yes. Is it probable? Am I going to have a large chance of success? Probably not. So I try to stick to things that are not just like possible, but are have a probable chance of success. And you can find and do a lot of things. And some people like to try to test those theories out. And that's cool. But I just say, understand that you're kind of on the outer thresholds testing stuff. I like to, for the, for the most part, stick with Hey, listen, this is tried and true. This is going to work. I should have like 80, 90% chance this is all going to work. If this doesn't work out, it's kind of like a freak thing. Um, but there's plenty of people that like to try stuff. And then you end up with a lot of Thunderdome, I like to call it sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's important to realize that like a lot of things are possible 
but try to stick with, in my opinion, the more probable stuff that's going to work. Right. And then kind of piggyback on that. Like I've been in this part of the business doing fish stuff my entire life. And I still don't know everything. I feel like I learn as much as I can every day. I learn from every, from all from fish keeping, what bred better temperatures, what people had success with. I'm still kind of thinking, okay, that, that looks like a good option for that specific fish or that specific situation that might, you know, as long as it's not outrageous, that's, that's something I would, if I was having issues, that's what I would do. You know, I'm not, if you are new to the hobby, if you stick to the stuff that's more tried and true, I think you'll have more success if you get down the down the line and you want to, you want to test something out because it's what you're interested in, you know, go, go at it, but be mindful of what's going to happen if you do. Cause I guarantee you, if you, if you want to look up what's going to happen to that fish, if you introduce it to X, Y, Z, you're going to find answers for that. At least you know what the expectation is and yeah. try to find the best method for you. That works. That works in exactly. your favor. I feel like there's plenty of, plenty of information out there that as aquarists, we shouldn't be surprised that often. If we get surprised by something, it should be because like, Oh my gosh, like how did that guppy get to be three feet long? Like that shouldn't have happened. Like what the heck? <laughs> like that would surprise me. You know, but yeah. if I put my guppy, if I put my guppy in with my imbuna and my guppy's not there tomorrow, like that shouldn't surprise me. You know, if I put my, you know, someone actually asked to purchase, they messaged me and they wanted to buy one of my long fin albino bristlenose plecos that are, I sell them at a one and a half inches, so not that big. And they wanted to put it in their imbuna tank. And I said, well, if you're going to go with a pleco for your African cyclo tank, bristlenose pleco may be the best one, but you probably, it's going to, it's going to be tough to find, but you're probably best trying to find like three or four inches already grown bigger, thicker male, whatever, and stick them in there and don't get a long fin. Cause even, even if it was a four foot one with long so, fins, yeah, don't do that. that's just going to be like attack city, you know, it's just going to, yeah. it's, it's not good. Um, it, so that's another caveat. Long fin stuff is usually not good with things that are bitey and <laughs> you're just asking, asking for fungal infections and fin rot mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. You are asking, you are asking for problems at that point. Good Lord. And then and to piggyback on that, the Mabuna thing, if you're going to throw in that tank, it's, you can't throw that kind even small fish like that. Cause the one, that fish is going to outgrow that, that bushy nose, uh, as far as faster, it's going to grow yeah. faster than that fish is going to. And it's going to be super small and, uh, there's a whole lot of issues, you know, that's going to happen if people, <laughs> people wanted to do that. So definitely avoid it and just, you know, make some good decisions and then I guess go from there. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, uh, I guess I'd like to close out final thoughts, anything we feel like we left out, wanted to mention, um, anything like that. Yeah. Let me mention this. I think another, we've been talking about kind of, um, how, you know, you guys breed the albinos on the farm, and I, I've bred some different ones. Um, I think it's another good point to mention that wherever you are, um, since Bristlenose Plecos, even even though you may be watching this and listening to this, and your goal is not to breed these fish, you just want to keep them, um, it, it's actually to your benefit that they are easily bred, because that means you can probably find them locally bred to you. So we had talked yeah. about locally bred fish, and I think we mentioned it. Maybe we didn't, but whenever I don't possible, think we did. No, yeah, it's nice to get. It's nice to get. In my opinion, I try to buy from other hobbyists, or if you can find someone with similar water, um, that's always nice to buy from your local fish store, especially if they're breeding on site, because it's gonna not have to adjust so much. So whether you're local to Dan and can go get his that he bred on his farm, or if you're in Wisconsin and luckily someone down the street breeds them and sells them to the local fish store. 
you have a better chance of getting some locally bred bristlenose plecos that are already adapted uh, to your water. So I think that's that's another benefit to these fish as well. That that's a great point. And I talk about this in a few other places, but you think about it if, when we bred them or when we breed them. You know, we're breeding them in harder water. If you were to want these exact fish in like Portland, Oregon, we went to I went to Portland a few years back, and their water is so soft. It is delicious for drinking. It's one of the best water I've had, you know, like that. But that water is going to be drastically different than what these fish are in. And you're going to, the acclimation process is going to be challenging. I think long-term, I think short-term, I don't think you'd see a whole lot of issues. But long-term, you could see see some issues with that fish if it, if it can't adapt well over time. So definitely, if you can find the fish locally, it's in the same type of water. Those are super great points to point out for that. And there's all sorts of groups, Facebook groups, your aquarium society groups. There's, uh, well, there's band groups. There's, you know, cause you can't really advertise on Facebook for fish anymore. So offer up. I don't know if they have fish or not actually. To you're be not honest. allowed. You're not, people get away with it some ways, but there's not a lot of fish in there cause you're not supposed to. So people, people can kind of get around it some ways, but there's not a lot of fish being sold that I've seen on offer up. Well, all right. Well, awesome, man. I think that's going to do it. That puts us at a good amount of time. Um, yeah, man. I just appreciate you coming on. I had a great time talking about Bristol's Plecos. Hope we can do this again in the future. And um, that's it. Thank you so much. And uh, everybody else, thank you for listening. Appreciate it. Uh, tune in next week. We'll have another podcast coming out the next Sunday after that, too. Trying to put one out every Sunday. So that's the plan. All right. Awesome, man. Thank you. Yeah, man. All right. Take care, everyone.